Hello, and welcome to Unabridged, the weekly podcast where teachers take on books. This is Sarah. Join us for bookish episodes and a monthly book club pick. This is Ashley. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Unabridged Pod, or go to our website, unabridgedpod.com, where the books we read are linked for purchase. This is Jen. Check out our Teachers Pay Teachers store, our Patreon page, and our newsletter. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts to support us. You want opinions about books? We've got them. Hey, it's Ashley, and we hope this finds you having a happy holiday season. We are sharing with you today three of our most popular episodes from 2019, and so we're excited to do that. I just wanted to take a minute to remind you to please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And also, we wanted to thank you all for participating in our 10 days of giveaways. We had so much fun with that, and we really loved all of your participation and um, doing all of that together. And we also wanted to say thank you so much for your support with the Dressember Drive this month. And we wanted to remind you that if you're interested in donating and haven't had a chance yet, you can still donate to Dressember. We have links in our bios, and also you can just go to the December page and donate that way. So today, the, the three episodes we wanted to share with you are first, get to know the hosts, second, our favorite audiobooks, and third, our book and song pairings. And we are happy to share those with you today and look forward to hearing what you think. We would love to know what some of your favorite audiobooks are and also what books and songs you would pair. We found that one to be challenging, but had a lot of fun coming up with those. So we would love to know some pairings that you have in your mind. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Unabridged. Today, we have a special episode for you. This is our our Get to Know the Hosts episode. We wanted to take a moment to thank everyone for participating this summer in our Reader's Choice voting. We ended up with a great choice of I Am, I Am, I Am by Maggie O'Farrell. I'm looking to Jen because I was like, I, I just realized I made a mistake. I don't know her last name. <laughs> and we also wanted to uh, thank you for participating in our reading challenge and taking photos and tagging us. We really enjoyed seeing all of that. And then also your questions. And today we're going to answer a few questions. I will pose the questions and we will answer them. And a lot of them have to do with things about reading and then some non-bookish things too. So before we get started, we wanted to remind you again to rate, review, subscribe on Apple Podcasts. That is the single easiest way that you can help the podcast and help people find us. So without further ado, let's start the questions. (laughs) The first question Jen, I'm going to come to you first, is what was your favorite book to teach? Hmm. Of course, my brain goes to a million books. As you guys (laughs) know, I always have narrowing problems. I will say. So one of the books that was sort of a, when I was still in the classroom full time, it was kind of a late edition was A.S. King's Everybody Sees the Ants. 
And that is a young adult novel. So I enjoyed, it, it took me a while to get around to teaching young adult novels whole class. So I really enjoyed teaching that with students. It has a lot of ambiguity within that I thought was interesting for class discussion. And I thought it appealed to wide audiences. So that book is about, what's well, about a lot of things, of course, as all good books are. But there's a boy at its center who has been bullied relentlessly for years by this other child. And you see the way um, his family has tried to help him, his parents have tried to help him, and just nothing anyone has done has made the situation better. And then intertwined within that is the story of his grandfather who was a POW during Vietnam, and he dreams about him almost every night. And there's this element, I don't know, I, I used to talk with students about whether it was magical realism, so it's potentially magical realism. There are other possible explanations for what is happening, but there's some, again, there's some ambiguity. So it was great for discussion because you got students to express their opinions and have to back it up with details from the book. So that one I thought really paid off. Ashley and I actually co-taught or co-planned a unit around that for our English 11 class that I thought went really well. Yeah, I would, one of the things that surprised us when we decided to do that book is we let kids vote on social issues, so we mm -hmm. gave them about 15 different issues to choose from, or maybe the list was longer. Yeah, it was anyway, long it was list. an extensive list, mm -hmm. and they were able to choose the issues that mattered the most to them, and overwhelmingly, bullying was mm -hmm. the top choice. Yeah. And I think in some ways that surprised me. I think that... Because often when adults try to bring up bullying, kids shy away from talking about it, which makes me think or made me think wrongly that that meant they didn't want mm -hmm. to discuss it. And then for that to be the top issue, and they knew that we were choosing things that we would then pursue yeah. as a class. And so that was really illuminating mm -hmm. to me. And there are some great books out there that address bullying in a way that is realistic and accessible and that enables kids to talk about it. And so, yeah, I thought that was a great mm -hmm. choice for a lot of reasons, but that was one of the things I enjoyed is just that it had a very realistic depiction yeah. of what that is like, both for the kid and also for the, for the adults involved and how complex those issues are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we did that one. So we did that with, with English 11 and then I also did it with some upper level classes. So I thought it really worked well at multiple levels and multiple depths of analysis. Anyway, that was a, a very long answer, Sarah. <laughs> that was the one I'm going to have a buzzer head. and say ding, <laughs> ding. <laughs> Speed round. Ashley, what is your favorite book to teach? I agree with Jen that this is a hard question. <laughs> um, because, you know, I want to talk about different preps and different right. levels of kids and what works best for those kids. But I am going to stick with my choice. I think that overall the one I've enjoyed teaching the most is Their Eyes Were Watching God mm -hmm. by Zora Neale Hurston and I think one of the reasons that I enjoyed so I read that as a high school student I read it again in a lit class in college and then I had the joy of teaching it and I think that that is one of the only books that I have experienced on both sides mm -hmm. and I think that that was really helpful because my professor in college was an amazing professor and so I already had this really great and I had you know I had written analytical papers about it I mean I felt like I 
it's one of the few books that I had studied as a student and felt like I really, it's that book has always spoken to me, but each time I've read it, it's spoken to me in a different way. Mm-hmm. But I also just loved having experienced it as a student and then having the joy of getting to share that with my own students and watch them and their discovery of the book. But Their Eyes Were Watching God centers on Janie Crawford, who is a black woman in the South in the 1930s. And it is just a really powerful journey story of her quest to discover herself. I mean, it is very much a story of self-discovery and her interactions with men. There are three specific male interaction relationships that she gets into that help her learn about herself and it and it's a journey deeper south so she's actually physically journeying as well and it just covers so many issues I mean it does a lot to illuminate the Jim Crow South it also hits on a historical hurricane that happened at the time and the way that that impacted the impoverished community in Florida and I just think it is a phenomenal story and so I um, if I had to choose one. I think that that is a good one to choose because I just admire her so much as a character. I love and admire Zora Neale Hurston as a writer. And and I love all the story also of Alice Walker and her resurrecting in a lot of ways Zora mm-hmm. Neale Hurston's stories and finding her grave and marking her. I mean, I think just the idea that we can honor others through our own choices and that that amazing literature can go un, undiscovered and unnoticed by the literary community for such a long time until it takes another really powerful writer who people, you know, she commands people to listen to her. And then she brings about this resurrection of their eyes were watching God, which is just such an amazing story. And it has become a big part of the um, canonical works mm-hmm. in high school. And I think that's awesome. So yeah, I love that one. That one you made me read that one that was one I had read a long time ago and liked and then I read it again after I followed Ashley teaching AP Lit at our high school I read it again and loved it yeah it's beautiful I mean just on the sentence level yeah it is absolutely gorgeous yeah gorgeous writing and then just amazing characters and um, great discussions about the you know the thematic discussions my students really enjoyed it too yeah that was that was popular that's a good one yeah I haven't read either of those Add it to your TBR. So. Yes, I do, have, I do have a gorgeous version of Their Eyes Were Watching God that I plan to read. Uh-huh. In I, all your spare I time. Can't <laughs> um, so my favorite book to teach, I taught middle school. So it's a bit different in terms of what I had the ability to teach. Mm-hmm. But I think I've already talked about this at length on the podcast (laughs) but my favorite book to teach was the outsiders by Mm -hmm. se hinton this book is i I probably taught it like 27 times for every class of eighth graders that i ever taught because it was part of our eighth grade curriculum but what i found with this book is that there was a character for some for almost every student to grab on to. And what I really liked was the commentary on what it makes to be a family and that you can create a family in different ways. And I think that's really important for kids to, to hear and to learn about and know that you don't have to be related by blood to be a, be a family Mm -hmm. and to be part of something. And that's what I loved. And I think resonated with my students because a lot of my students were from homes that were not, 
your traditional nuclear family or family and it w- was helpful for them to know and a lot of students created family like environments with their friends and their friends families and i think that that kind of validated them as contributors to a family even though it might not be the traditional sense mm-hmm. and also i mean it's just a great story it's a great story of friendship it's a great story of classism and being impeded by your economic status and uh, you know, it, it's a great story about what it takes to be a hero and can, who can be a hero. Mm-hmm. And I just think it's a great iconic story for kids to read and he- listen to. And the other thing about it is that um, I think that there there is a movie mm-hmm. made made for it, and the book is so much better than the movie. <laughs> so I always loved that being able to read the book with my students and then we would, they were always so excited to see the movie and they watched the movie and they were like, that wasn't as good as the (laughs) book. And so it helped me prove my point that the, that the book is almost always, not always, but almost always Mm -hmm. better than the book, Mm -hmm. better than the movie. So that made, that also kind of put a little cherry on top for teaching that. (laughs) So I really like that book. It's Essie Hinton's, the outsiders and it's a great story of about these boys that create a family and it's also a great thing to talk about essie hinton and how she wrote the book how why why she chose to use essie hinton instead of her real name and um it just gives a lot of teachable moments with the book that's such a good one too yeah (laughs) i've never taught that book but i love to read that one yes i love that book every time i read it it just i just love it true confessions i've never read it (gasps) oh look at you guys just (laughs) and that is really short you would yeah i know i think i and i think we have it in the classroom yes i will pick that one up (laughs) um so they all good choices uh, but weirdly, my, you both said it was hard for you to choose. Weirdly, mine. this was the easiest question for me. So <laughs> um, our second question is one that has nothing to do with books. And it is, what is the scariest thing you've ever done for fun? <laughs> Keep it PG, please. <laughs> I can't remember. Yeah, I, I think I thought I had an answer for this, but maybe I don't. So... I don't know that I'd say this is scary, but it was definitely challenging. Uh, I, when I lived in Kentucky, got roped into doing a marathon, and which is 26.2 miles, folks, and that's a long way to run, and I got roped into that, and it was really fun, but also really challenging. It's, just, it's really mentally challenging, I think, because it's something that you have to kind of convince yourself that you can do, um, and so that made it challenging and and it's and it is a scary journey to go down and then I think also when you just it like like anything if you decide to do something then trying to get through the process to get to mm-hmm. the thing can be really scary because I think it there's a lot of self-doubt involved and convincing yourself to get from point a to point b can be really hard so I think that was a scary slash challenging thing that I did that I'm really thankful that I did I do not know that I will do another one (laughs) but I'm glad I did it because a lot of times since then when things have been hard I have told myself I did this thing and (laughs) I you know thought I couldn't do it and and I was able to and so it has helped bolster me when other things are challenging so mine is uh, first I should say I am not a good singer and 
I, I would love to be able to be a good singer, but I am j- I'm just not. This is something I had to <laughs> reconcile myself <laughs> to a long, long time ago in elementary school when my mother advised me not to try out for chorus because I wouldn't make it <laughs> because I really couldn't sing well. Painful parenting moments, painful children moments anyway. <laughs> but when I was still at my high school, there was another English teacher who retired and her dream had always been to direct the play um, Dylan Thomas's Under Milkwood. And she really wanted me and another colleague to be a part of it, which I thought was great. I've been in and around theater a lot, and I really enjoy it. I'm not a great actress either, but I, I can I can be on stage, and it's okay. But I didn't realize that I had one with my colleague of the only two singing parts in the entire play, and that I would have to <laughs> sing a cappella. And so when my friend asked me to audition, I said, I would love to, but I, I cannot sing. And so that's not a great idea. And she thought I was being artificially humble. And so cast me without ever having heard me sing. And she told me later that on our first rehearsal night when I sang, she wondered what she had done. <laughs> and so I got lessons and I practiced and I had the, mu- the what the tune was supposed to sound like recorded on a tape that I would listen to every day on the way to and from work and I would practice singing it with the music accompanying me and then I would practice on my own I was never great but I was passable and so I got up and I did it oh my gosh and one night a bunch of my students who were very sweet and supportive came and sat on the front row of this very very small intimate theater oh and the other thing was my singing character so I play three characters in the play my the singing character was a woman who had she sang about having sex with a lot of different men and was pregnant. And so I'm looking out at this front row of students, seeing me sing poorly. They were all great singers in the musical. Sing poorly and be pregnant. And yeah, it, it was it was it was an experience. But anyway, that was that was probably the bravest thing I've ever done. Scariest thing I've ever done. Both. <laughs> oh my goodness I can't imagine I don't think I could and that I could take enough singing lessons to make me even passable uh, I, I don't know that I ever reached that point either but I did it anyway uh, I'm having I'm having chest pain just thinking about it <laughs> maybe we could talk about humiliation <laughs> also causes some, some anxiety yes. so Sarah what's yours well so I, I'm kind of an adrenaline junkie, so I like to do things that might be determined scary for fun. Like, I like that type of thing. Like, I would do bungee jumping. I would do skydiving. I would do that type of stuff. So I don't know that I would call it scary, but the thing that I did that maybe some people would find scary is actually, and I drug my family to do it too, is I signed us up to do this uh, treetop adventure called Go Ape. And it's 28 feet in the air and you put on harnesses and then you do all the, it's kind of like a ropes course, but you are very high up and, um, there's at times there's nothing on the side of you. And even though you're in a harness, you still have that feeling that, Oh my gosh, I'm going to pummel to my death. But I find that kind of stuff exhilarating and it's physically (laughs) challenging, which I love physical challenges. And actually, um, my, my daughter was five when we did it and she did it and she got scared one time and she did the, it is a two hour course. So uh, that's probably one of the, the scariest mm-hmm. things that, I've, that people would think might be scary. I but would I, think that would be scary. I, but I love that stuff. So 
I didn't find it scary. I found it exhilarating. That is scary so. for clumsy people. <laughs> <laughs> well, and but like Sarah said, I think it's part, I mean, part of that's what some people find appealing, but part of it is that rush mm-hmm. feeling of being up high yes. and having the, yeah, have, it, there is a feeling. That it's kind of like rock climbing. Yeah. Like I would do that. I like all that stuff. Yeah, I yeah. like, and I like, I like Liked. things like that. I don't know. Now I feel like I, I sit on the couch. You know? <laughs> but yeah, that's true. I, I used to do all those things. Yeah, well, and I just like those things that are coupled, like it's something exhilarating like that, also coupled with exercise and physical challenges. Yeah. Those That is mm-hmm. my total cup of tea. So I find that like, it's just like tough mudders and mud races and all those types of things that other people were like, you're nuts. I love that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that's mine. <laughs> oh, this is a good lead in for me, at least. <laughs> but um, what are some of your favorite non-bookish hobbies do you want to take it first sure i'll go first this time because since it kind of goes it kind of goes right into what Mm -hmm. i was talking about so some of my favorite non-bookish hobbies i love doing physical challenges i really i enjoy working out and lifting weights and so i mean when i can i like to work out and do things that are physical. I find that I find, I just feel so much better when I do. So that's one thing. And then my other thing though, that we usually talk about on the podcast is I love to watch movies. I don't get to do it as often as I used to. I used to know every movie have watched every movie that comes out, but once I had children that mm-hmm. slowed down significantly. <laughs> so it's been about 11 years, but I try to watch the things that I really want to see. I try to watch in the theater. I love the whole theater going experience. I love the popcorn and sitting in the dark and watching. I like that experience of watching a movie mm-hmm. together. I think that, the, I think the reason I enjoy it now so much is that you, that we don't really have that communal watching experiences that we used to like mm-hmm. when I was growing up my whole family would sit and watch like full house on Friday nights but you don't really do that because you can watch on demand yeah. and you don't have that that group watching experience mm-hmm. so I think that's why I enjoy going to the movies and getting the reactions of the people that I'm going with even if even if it's somebody I don't know so those are my those are probably my two biggest hobbies right now well I'll jump in and say yeah that that's I like to consume all things. So I read a lot, but I also watch a lot. There's a lot of TV that I watch and a lot of movies that I watch. And I love to know about them. My husband and I are both big movie buffs. And we always used to watch all of the Oscar nominees. And we would have a big Oscar party. And everybody would pick their choices. And we had a pool. We still do the pool. But the party has become more difficult as (laughs) our kids have gotten older. And we definitely do not see all of the Oscar nominees anymore. But yeah, I love just knowing about that and having those conversations a lot of it appeals to me in the same way mm-hmm. that reading does and that having those conversations appeals to me. And I agree. There's something about that communal experience. Like when we're trying to limit our boys screen time for me, that doesn't count. Like if we're watching a movie together, right. I feel like that is different from that independent. Oh, we're all going to do our own thing because there is something about the conversation and just having that as a common experience. Mm-hmm. That's, that's different. I agree. Yeah. They're both looking at me. Ashley, it's your turn, turn, Ashley. Um, So (laughs) I I really like to do things outside. And I love swimming. I love kayaking. I like still water kayaking. I don't do the 
rolling in the white water anymore. Mm-hmm. But when Sarah was saying that about the adrenaline junkie, I was like, I guess that I've never thought of myself that way. But I, I used to do I did a white I was a whitewater rafting guide and I did a high ropes course and did people on the rappelling wall it was sixty feet. Mm-hmm. And I remember people would get up there and sometimes could not get back down. Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, like you said, not everybody finds that scary, but for some people it's really paralyzing. And I like doing a lot of those outdoor things. My oldest child is five and so a lot of that has shifted as we've had kids but we're getting to the point now where our kids are able to do a lot of the things that we enjoy. So that's been fun. Uh, like we are looking at bouldering places in our area and things like that. So I think that some of the stuff that we've kind of taken a break from, we will probably be picking back up as the girls get a little bit older. And so that's been fun. But yeah, that's, I would say that that's my main thing that I like to do. I like to be outside. Like Sarah said, I also really like to exercise. I kind of have to make myself do it. It's hard for me to get started, but I really enjoy, I mean, like I said about the marathon, I mean, I enjoy training for a goal. So I think it's, I'm very goal oriented in general. That's why the podcast has been great for my reading life because it helps <laughs> me to have concrete goals that, and some accountability to work toward them. And then when I have that, I find that really satisfying. So I think a lot of times like, exercise just by itself going to the gym or whatever it's hard for me to make myself do it but then when I do I really reap the benefits of that and enjoy it I love yoga uh like I like running and then like I said I like swimming and that's been swimming has been really fun with our kids and watching them learn to swim all of that has just been really great so I think as a family that's something that we spend a lot of time doing is Mm -hmm. just being outside and finding different outdoor fun activities that we can do we go to a lot of parks and spend our time that way. So that's probably my main thing. I am totally on the opposite end of the spectrum as far as the movie watching and pop culture stuff. That is like not my hobby. Mm -hmm. So when our friends are all talking, I'm always very trying to just very discreetly Google on my phone (laughs) so so that I can see the person and then be like, oh yeah, I do know who that is. And then five minutes later, join belatedly into the conversation. (laughs) So... Okay, so I, I think we've gone a little longer than we normally do on our shorts. We're going to ask, I'm going to ask one more question, and this is just going to be like a quick, quick one. Um, the last one is, what is your favorite non-bookish podcast, sorry, podcast or social media follow? Uh, I really, oh. <laughs> I, I think I'm supposed to go. I really love, there's an Instagram account, Simple-ish Living, and I really love that account. And she is just a really awesome person who is always trying to make life choices that I, I've just learned a lot about consumption and ways to make some good environmental choices from her account. I love her ideas and I find that I read her posts really frequently on Instagram. This is hard because as has become apparent, I'm a big consumer of all things, including lots and lots of podcasts. But I will say one that has been really great for me recently is Malcolm Gladwell's Revisionist History. Um, I've talked on other episodes about I just enjoy the way he develops his thoughts and his arguments. And it's sort of gradually paced and this gradual build to something that then makes complete sense to me, even though I never would have arrived there on my own. So Malcolm Gladwell's revisionist history, the current season is really good. 
hands down my favorite non-bookish podcast is the Popcast, which we talk about all the time. It's great. It's, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'm a Patreon supporter of that, of that podcast. I love what they put out and I love pop culture and they are hilarious. So that's by far my favorite podcast. And I really like Jamie B. Golden, who is one of the hosts. She is a great Instagram follower. I mean, sorry, a great Instagram follow. <laughs> so those are my top two. That's what I want to cheat and add one podcast. Uh, I really love this is a kids podcast called tumble and it is great we have really enjoyed that this summer and it's really science focused but it's just fascinating in-depth information that my five-year-old thoroughly enjoyed but that we also really liked this summer I have several but I I know we're trying to narrow to one (laughs) (laughs) when y'all both did a podcast I thought that was a great discovery this summer yep great well I think or hope that you got to know us just a little bit better from this podcast. We want to go ahead and remind you again one more time to please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. And we thank you for listening. See you next time. Hey, it's Ashley. Today we are going to be talking with you all about our favorite audiobooks, or at least a few of them. And before we get started, I just want to take a moment to say if you could rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, that is the best thing that you can do to help us grow our audience and connect with more bookish readers and listeners out there. And so if you could take a minute to do that, that would help us so much. We also always love to hear what you think about things. Um, So if you could hop over to Instagram at Unabridged Pod and let us know in this instance who your favorite audiobooks, we'd love to hear about those. So yeah, we're going to jump right in. And I will say that we all three scribbed for audio and really like that. And so that's helped me listen to a lot more audiobooks. So a couple of years ago, I wouldn't have had much to say about this, but these days mm-hmm. I, <laughs> I'm cranking through them. So I have a few more to choose from. But anyway, um, who wants to start? I can go. So this is Jen. I will say I found that I do better with nonfiction on audio. And one of the stronger nonfiction books I've read recently is a is YA nonfiction. It's Steve Scheinken's Undefeated Jim Thorpe and the Carlisle Indian Football Team. For people who know me, I am not athletic at all, but for whatever reason, I really enjoy books about sports. And this one was great. I thought the narrator, Mark Bramhill, did a great job reading the book, and it was really fascinating. Basically, it uses Jim Thorpe, who was a famous football player early in the in the history of that sport, I guess, one of the best players, and he came to it through a residential school. So he was placed there somewhat against his will. And the school had started a football team sort of just as a way to keep kids occupied. And it was the students who were on the team who pushed the person who ran the school to have them compete against other schools. And the fact that they... They, they were really bad at first because that was not part of their culture and they didn't really know the rules and they didn't know the strategy behind it. They just thought it was a way to build community. And then Pop Warner, who the Pop Warner Football League is named after him, he came to the school and became the coach. And Jim Thorpe, who was a track star, 
sort of pushed his way onto the team through being very, very determined. So it was just this great story. I think young adults would enjoy it both because it has that sport at the center. It's a great way to learn about the history of our country. The fact that there's some name recognition with Pop Warner and that he is a more complex figure than I initially thought anyway from his introduction in the book. There's a lot going on that is both interesting historically and it's nonfiction, but I would still say plot-wise. The plot has a lot of action, and I think the descriptions of the different games and when you see these underdogs up against schools like Yale and Harvard, it, it was really cool. So I... The unathletic Jen <laughs> would highly recommend Steve Schenken's Undefeated. I thought it was a great, great read. Listen, that, <laughs> that sounds really good. Could it would is it only? Do you think it is would be appropriate for middle grade or only young YA? Maybe I do think. I think it's directed at an older audience, but I think if you had a kid who was interested in football, yeah, I think so. And again, I think. It, it's an easy entry point into those historical details and I think would be great for discussion. So, yeah, if you're thinking of your kiddo, <laughs> I think you might like it. Like, I think my son would enjoy it. That's, yeah, I was, that's what I was thinking about mm-hmm. in my mind. <laughs> my Well, one of my picks is, oh, this is really hard. <laughs> uh, one of my picks is Frederick Bachman's Bear Town. So if you remember from way back when we did our first episode on audiobooks, I chose Frederick Bachman's A Man Called Uva for my audiobook, which is fantastic. And I thought Beartown, while different than the Uva narration, was fantastic. The narrator is uh, Marin Ireland, and she just does a really good job of bringing you know feeling and this is a really heavy book and it's a lot of words and Bachman's writing in Beartown and all of his books is just so beautiful and she just does such a good job with it and I just thought it was excellent if you don't know Beartown is about a small town in Sweden where this tiny community is sent the industry has kind of shut down there's not a ton of industry and the whole town is centered around this hockey team and they kind of live and die by hockey and it is a very very compelling book I thought it was fantastic if you haven't heard of it you you probably you have heard of it because it was everywhere and it just is a really great story and I think that the narration really brings it to life and I really enjoyed it so that is Bear Town by Frederick Bachman and I just want to say I love Frederick Bachman's work so I love it (laughs) yeah so I like I said at the beginning I didn't do a lot with audiobooks for a long time and unless I was on a really long car trip and I was getting CDs from the library but other than that I really hadn't done much and so when I was first starting script and trying to find audiobooks that I liked I asked for recommendations, and so one of the books that was recommended several times to me is called Lincoln and the Bardo by George Saunders, and a big reason that it was recommended as an audiobook is because it has a whole cast of characters, and it is, the the character, the voices are done by a lot of notable people, and so I think that's a part of why it got so much acclaim specifically as an audiobook, and 
I am really glad I started with that because like Jen said, typically I in the past had only done nonfiction, which is not my first preference for genre, but was a way that I could start and stop more. Mm -hmm. But this one really, this is historical fiction and but it eased me into doing more of the plot driven narrative fiction which I'm you know often I'm trying to read more of that kind of book so it's helped me to learn to listen to more audiobooks that are fiction and so this one is uh, it centers on Abraham Lincoln's son Willie who is sick and I, first of all, I didn't know anything about that, and I didn't realize that during, and maybe that is totally ignorant, so all of you might be thinking, how did she not know this? But I did not. Um, so during the Civil War, Abraham Lincoln, his son died, became sick, and in a relatively short period of time, at the age of 11, he died. And so that is the premise, but I think what is so fascinating about it is Saunders' ability to imagine this whole world in like he he imagines all of these ghosts and their own experiences and their position kind of in limbo and then positions Willie this young sweet boy among them and also looks at Lincoln the father and his grief and the whole situation kind of leading up to the moment of Willie's death and then the aftermath and how horrible it is for him and I just think his ability to imagine that and position it amid commentary that is historical and including the quotes and all of the things that represent what really happened at the time but then painting this picture of a father who has lost his son that he loved and just seeing Abraham Lincoln who I think you know we know lots of things about in our country but don't always think of in that framework. Mm -hmm. I think I, that was what I loved about it is somebody who did these amazing things for the country that I've always thought of only in this kind of social or political realm and then imagining his personal life and what that is like. Mm -hmm. I think that was what I really loved. And I did, it's the first time I listened to an audiobook that had a lot of different voices. And I really enjoyed that experience as well because it was a lot like Reader's Theater. I mean, it really felt like it came to life. All the different characters were individually crafted and represented mm -hmm. in the audio itself. And so I love that whole experience. The only thing I do think some people, I've heard some criticism of it. Um, it has a lot of historical references and those citations can be slightly distracting. And in the audio, it's a little bit confusing or just uh, it takes away a little bit because they're quoted. And then after the quote, a lot of them are cited earlier. So it's like ibid because it has previously been cited in the text. But then they're reading. Yeah, that part is can be a little off-putting, mm -hmm. I think, for listeners. Um, maybe Jen can speak yeah, to that. <laughs> I ended up reading the ebook because I did not enjoy that. And I just, I couldn't situate myself in the narrative as easily because of all the citations. So, yes. Yeah. yeah. So I think that's something to note when you're looking for audiobooks that that might be unappealing to you. But I think if that is the case, you'll know pretty quickly and you can bail. For me, that part was a little bit distracting, especially because I had not seen the physical text. So I did not realize that they were citations. And it took me a while to understand that those were the historical documents that were being incorporated and that then 
that they were being cited more than once. I mean, all that took a little unpacking, whereas if I'd seen it on the page, I would have been much more under, you know, understood a lot better what was happening. But overall, I just loved the voices of there's, there are some sort of main character ghosts who have their own experiences and they are the narrators and telling the story and then working things out with young Willie who has recently found himself there in this kind of purgatory. And I just, yeah, I thought it was really tender. And I also loved, I don't do a lot of historical fiction. And I think it just really made me appreciate how much that can deepen your thoughts about something that you think you know something about, like a person like Abraham Lincoln, who maybe I have some preconceived notions about and then help it helped me to think of him in a new way. And I really appreciated that as well. All right, so for my next choice, I'm actually offering two by the same author, Lydia Kang's A Beautiful Poison and The Impossible Girl, both of which are read by Saskia Marleveld. And clearly I'm quite confident in that pronunciation. Okay, (laughs) so both of these, I'll jump on the historical fiction bandwagon. So these are fiction. So even though I said earlier I usually read nonfiction, I thought these worked really well. They're fiction, and they worked really well as audiobooks. So A Beautiful Poison takes place in New York and is dealing with kind of a, a family of characters who have different, so some of them are really wealthy and some of them are quite poor. They are dealing with the Spanish influenza. I'm trying to figure out how much I can say here without giving things away. What I will say about both of them is they are historical fiction and each of them has an element of science incorporated. So in this one, there I'm really treading carefully. There is a poison at its center that is related, obviously that's the title, but that is related to the fate of some of these characters. And it has to do with scientific discoveries that made a big difference in history. In The Impossible Girl, Kang is focusing on resurrectionists and at its center is the protagonist who has two hearts and is therefore her dead body would be very valuable to resurrectionists. So she is both joining in that effort to find, to, uh, to dig up bodies that can be used for scientific discovery. And she's trying to keep her secret safe from people who would like to, kill her and therefore have her dead body to use for science and also just as a marvel. So both of them bring in all of these historical details, but there are mysteries at the center that I think make them very compelling and very plot focused. And I think that the narrator does a great job bringing the different characters and the different voices to life in each book. So that's Lydia Kang's A Beautiful Poison and The Impossible Girl. My next book is... A book. So I was, I was. This is. I read this one way be, or listened to this one way before I even knew about Scribd. So I was at the library and I needed a book to listen to on a long trip, and they didn't really have anything. So I picked up the A Dog's Purpose by W. Bruce Cameron, and I have to say, I am not a huge animal person, and I'm also not a huge lover of films or books with with animals as the main characters but I was I had heard all this stuff about this book and I decided to give it a go 
and I listened to it, and I I don't know if I would have enjoyed it as much if I would have read it, but mm-hmm. I love this audiobook. the The premise of the book is that we're <laughs> we're learning about this dog and all his lives that he's lived. So he may be a different, like look different, be a different dog, but his soul and his sweetness remains the same throughout all of these lives he lives. And so we learn about each of his lives. And it, I mean, I tell you, I just thought it was fantastic. I loved the family elements. I loved all the different things that the dog did. Sometimes he was just like a family pet. Sometimes he was a search and rescue dog. It just, I mean, there were all these different things. But then because of the way the narrator portrayed the voice of the dog, you still felt like it was the same dog throughout all these Mm -hmm. lives and it was just beautiful and I loved it and I was really surprised because it was just kind of a concession that I just (laughs) picked (laughs) at the library because I didn't have any other choices and I just really enjoyed it and I did not think that I would but I did and I thought it was really well done by the narrator the narrator is William Duffris I believe is how you say his last name and he did a great job and it was just so good. So, it's just a sweet, it's just a sweet, tender story. I, I mean, you know, in that, what the description I gave you is what it's about. It's not complicated, but mm-hmm. it's just beautiful. So, have you seen the movie? I, I have not. I haven't either. That's what I was going to ask. So, there, there is a movie. There yeah. is a movie. Mm-hmm. And, there's, and there are, I will say that when I've seen the, trailers for it I feel teary at yes. the start and yeah. I, I'm usually not down for that yeah. so I thought it is a whole out. series though it there is a, a whole series like yeah. you can get the box set on Amazon <laughs> but uh but I mean I do think I teared up a couple times but I but I did like it <laughs> which means we would be on the floor I know, right? <laughs> animals and yeah yeah have a hard time with that. I'm not sure why, because you think of all things that is a relatively predictable phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Dogs' lives are much shorter than people's, right. so it happens. Still sad. Yeah. <laughs> Sarah and I have very different feelings about this. <laughs> I know. I do think it's sad. I know. <laughs> I. D- Sarah that made it sound like. A- <laughs> I do think it's sad when a pet dies, and yeah. I've had pets that I've loved. I just am not a person who yeah. Yeah. is like you come to me, that kind of story. you know, animal friends. That's not me, but <laughs> but I do do not hate animals. Uh-huh. I just don't like it when they lick me and all that. Don't you want to see the headline for this episode? <laughs> what will our title be? <laughs> Come to me, all the animal friends. Do not lick me. I don't like that. It's a good choice. Okay, moving right along. All right, Ashley, finish this up here. (laughs) Going in for the win here. Um, So I wanted to talk about not an animal book. Um, I listened to this one right right around the turn of the new year, and... I loved it. I This will be one of my favorite books from this year, I feel sure. And then I also loved listening to the audio. This is, I am choosing Michelle Obama's Becoming. And I, she narrates it. So Sarah has said before about how amazing it is to listen to the author narrate the book. And so that's really phenomenal. And what I love, what I, I mean, there was just a lot that I really loved about it, but I think some, I mean, the title itself is something that I just really appreciate. I think that she is just so humble and honest 
throughout the book about her life experiences and what brought her to being in the White House and the transition out of the White House and what all of that was like for her. But also this idea that people are always evolving and always changing and always becoming more than what they were and that we're never at this point where we've kind of reached the top or whatever. And I think that that message really resonated with me. And I also thought it was really interesting that I didn't realize how much she disliked politics. And so I think I really appreciated her journey to become to realizing that she that Brock was going to pursue these this career in politics and that she could not have anticipated that and then he couldn't have anticipated the way that that evolved Mm -hmm. from him running for the senate to suddenly him running for president and that in a lot of ways that wasn't their life plan and so I think I really appreciated that too I love hearing about the ins and outs of real relationships and the way that those evolve over time and I think that in books we often I mean I read a lot of YA so I think that but I think this is true and in adult books as well that we don't often see we don't often write about enduring relationships Mm -hmm. that often what we focus on when we're reading stories it has to do with coming together and that process and then a lot of times in adult books the relationship is not at the center and I think I really appreciated that this is very much a book about her life it is her memoir and it speaks to her experiences as a mom it speaks to her her own life ambitions the things that she her career path the things that she wanted to do what she is doing and how that is and is not what she envisioned but it also speaks to their relationship as a couple and the ways that those choices that you make within your own life, of course, impact your family and what that can mean. And so I really, I just loved that. And I think that it made me appreciate how much she is a working mom Mm -hmm. who understands the struggle of getting dinner on the table or of figuring out how to get kids from point A to point B, and meanwhile, juggling all these other things that are specific to her experience as being the first lady. But how all of that is a lot like the the struggles that we all face mm-hmm. as adults in the world. And so I think that was what I really appreciated about it. And I just, I just love her perspective. I think that she, I admire her so much, and I really enjoyed learning about her what made her who she is so again that is um michelle obama's becoming and i recommend the audiobook i I will probably reread it and would like to read the book as well but i think that it's such a joy to hear her reading it in her own voice okay does anybody want to say anything else nope would we like to talk a little bit more about animals and audiobooks (laughs) no thank you i'm good (laughs) Uh, well uh, in that case that wraps (laughs) wraps us up (laughs) and be sure to rate review and subscribe on apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and also we would love to hear about your audiobook recommendations we're always looking for new ones and would love to hear what you think about that on instagram thanks so much for listening
everyone. This is Sarah, and we are here today with another short episode. Today we are going to be talking about book and song pairings. And before we do that, we want to remind you to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts because that helps people find us. And we also want to remind you that we have a brand new merch store at Tee Public. You can also access it directly from our website. So check that out and support us any way you can. We really appreciate you listening. And now we are going to get to our book and song pairings. And we all basically just picked a song that we thought kind of matched a book of our choice. So who would like to? No, actually, I'm not going to ask. I'm going to (laughs) say, Ashley, will you start for us? Dang it. I'm just going to put Jen on the spot. But alas, my name has been called. I (laughs) will reluctantly go. Uh, First of all, this was quite an adventure. When we came up with this idea, I was like, oh, this is a great idea. And I feel like in the abstract, I think about these things. But then when I had to nail it down, it was more difficult. (laughs) Anyway, the first one we're going to talk about I this morning felt very teary about. And then I thought, I'm not going to be able to talk about this. But I feel much better this afternoon about it. So I'm going to go ahead and talk about it. I'm going to do it. And I'm going to do it first. So the song that I selected is Death Cab for Cuties, What Sarah Said. And... I guess we're going to link to our lyrics mm-hmm. or something. Yes. Right? yes. Okay. So yes. so we'll put these in the show notes in case you're not familiar with them. But that song... So, okay. The song is What Sarah Said. And the book that I am linking it to is The Great Believers by Rebecca Mackay, which I read this summer and for sure is going to be one of my most favorite books of the year. And it's probably one of the most impactful books I've read in a very long time. I thought it was a very rich story and it has really stayed with me. And so I think what, okay, so I'm going to talk about the book first and then how it connects. The Great Believers is about, it has two timelines, but it is about the AIDS epidemic in the 1980s in Chicago and Boys Town, where everyone is getting sick and dying and there's all the stigma involved. And at the time they knew very little about it. And so it's early 80s, all of that is unfolding and it is, she is just a masterful writer. And so it really, she does a great job of getting us right into the lives of the characters. And we look really closely at the people who are being impact by, impacted by this crisis and the way it's treated by the larger society. And so that's happening. And then also it is, there's another storyline of the sister of one of the boys who was, or one of the young men who was one of the first men to die who is looking at her estranged relationship with her own daughter much later and her attempt to reconnect that relationship. And so I just think that that book is brilliant because I think it both examines very deeply a a situation that happened and that was handled badly and not cared about and that kind of thing. But it's also about what it means to watch someone die and to be ill and to support other people who are ill and to stay with them until the end and to know that that is what the inevitable outcome is. And I think what's particularly heartbreaking about that situation is that, you know, one partner would find out that he had been infected and then would the, the you know, his partner then has to face not only the care for him, but then the knowing that mm-hmm. most likely with rare exceptions it was coming that way for them too. But then there was no sense of like how long and how long it would be dormant and all this. And I just thought all of that 
was heart-wrenching, but also just beautifully portrayed in the book. And so the song is also pretty heartbreaking, but it is all about, I've just always thought, it's the most accurate portrayal of what it is like to sit in a hospital that I have Mm -hmm. ever heard, of just the experience of waiting for the inevitable to happen Mm -hmm. and what that is like for all of the people in that space. And so I think that is what was so rich to me about those together because it is this idea that that is what it it means to love someone. I mean, that in the song, um, you know, there's just like all this talk about the, all the people in the waiting room and how they all have this thing in common, but then they're all isolated also. And I think that, yeah, I just thought, I mean, this morning I was like, that is it. I mean, it's this just like, that's what it means to be human is just to know that we have this mortality. But also there is a distinct part of watching someone be sick and die that we don't always have. And so I think that, that that's what stood out to me. I mean, like mm-hmm. the song, I mean, in the end, it's like, um, I'm thinking of what Sarah said, that love is watching someone die. And I think, like, that is what those two things had so much in common because the book, The Great Believers, is so much about mm-hmm. holding on to the people that you love and finding a way to be with them through this extremely difficult time. And so, yeah. So, again, the, the book is The Great Believers, Rebecca B- Mackay, and the song is What Sarah Said, and it's by Death Cab for Kitty. That's, that's a great pairing. Thank you. And I, 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 feel, I feel a lot more composed yeah. about it. This morning I was like, I'm not going to make it through. You did a great job. And I do love that book. Oh my gosh. That was one of my favorites of last year. And I yeah. mean, I, I mean, it, it, is, it, is, it is stunning. I haven't read it yet. Sarah, it's you on my list. would love it. But it is oh, work gosh. for sure. I mean, it was, yeah. work. it was, it was work. It was emotionally really draining for me to read. And also because it's so masterful, it's not like you're breezing through it. Right. I mean, there, you know, I felt like it was work for me, but I was so enthralled in the mm-hmm. story and I just thought I mean it's like I said it just has really stayed with me mm-hmm. it one I wonder it reminds me of when I, I started a little life mm-hmm. and oh, yeah and I I mean I thought it was it was amazing writing mm-hmm. I thought that the story was very I mean I wanted to know but I mean it I had to stop for a while because I just could not at that mm-hmm. moment it was and that's coming from privilege like the privilege mm-hmm. of being yeah. able to stop right. it reading it but it was just at that moment was too much but it, it sounds like that book mm-hmm. i think i i think i would like it but i just don't mm-hmm. yeah i don't know when i'll read it but i will read it <laughs> and i will say that's when i did on audio and read the book and that was a good combo for me mm-hmm. good to know jen what is one of yours all right so ashley actually inspired this so full credit to ashley so uh, we were spinning through i had a really hard time with this because i will say Usually when I'm listening, I'm listening to podcasts and audiobooks, so I, I don't have this great range of songs. But going back to the 90s and when I was really into music, I love Pearl Jam and Pearl Jam's Jeremy, which released in 1992. So I was in high school, was really an impactful song and video like the video for me is almost as resonant as Mm -hmm. the song and i just remember how powerful that was and how we all talked about it and i will say that was before columbine which happened when i was in was i in grad school or i think i was in grad school and columbine happened and so it just thinking of violence in the classroom and in the song jeremy he's describing a suicide so it's not quite the same but i still just think this stunning act of violence in a place of education that wasn't something we took for granted the way 
we have. And so it's just interesting to look before that shift happened. I remember talking with my students one year about, there was an article in this newspaper that we got that we were reading and they said, well, what was it like before Columbine? And it's just, it was such a, a change of, of the entire way you see the world for these kids as compared to what it was like when I was in high school. And so the book I've chosen to pair with it is Dave Cullen's Parkland, which is a nonfiction account, not of the Parkland shooting. So Dave Cullen's previous book, Columbine, really focused on the events of Columbine and what happened from the moment the shooters came to school that day and the aftermath. And Parkland is about the activism that followed that event and the way those high school kids came together to try to make change and to be politically active. And so I think it is a hopeful look at what an artist's attention to violence can do. And so I think that is something that both Pearl Jam and Dave Cullen, though that's probably a weird comparison, both do with these works is draw attention to something that they think is important. So that's Pearl Jam's Jeremy and Dave Cullen's Parkland. All right, Miss Sarah. What do you think? <laughs> so I don't listen to a lot of music, um, except kid, kids bop with my children. <laughs> and uh, so my pairing, my pairing is, the book is Castle of Water by Dane Hucklebridge, which Yay. I loved. We read this very early on in the mm-hmm. podcast as one of our book choices. And my song is Nothing Compares to You. So this song was sung by Prince and Sinead O'Connor. The version that I am pairing with is Chris Cornell's version. It's his live version that he sang. I think he has one of the best voices I've ever heard. If you don't know who he is, he was the lead singer of Audio Slave and Soundgarden. And he just has this powerful voice that can evoke all of these emotions. Mm-hmm. And every time I hear this song, it it makes me want to cry. Mm-hmm. I think also because he, he died tragically. That's one mm-hmm. reason. But another mm-hmm. reason is that he just has this way of evoking emotion from people. And that's what I thought Dane Hucklebridge did for me when I read Castle of Water. Mm-hmm. Um, Castle of Water is the story of Sophie and Barry, who are basically trapped after a plane crash on a deserted island. And it's about their relationship and how they come to make the island their home. And it's unique in that there are alternating timelines. So we, you get to see some things or hear some things from an omniscient narrator, which is because the narrator knows everything. So he's telling the story of Barry and Sophie, but he's also telling us, or he or she is also (laughs) telling us the story of some things that happened kind of um, at the same time as the the plane crash and also telling us things that are happening in the present. So you know you're kind of, you're going back in time and flashing forward and it's just uh, just a really immersive experience Mm -hmm. to read the book. And he takes you on this journey, this love story journey. And I'm always here for a love story. And it is just, I felt so much when I read this book and that's how I feel every time I hear Chris Cornell sing, nothing compares to you with just his guitar and a mic stand. It is amazing. So those are 
That's my pairing. Castle of Water by Dane Hucklebridge and Chris Cornell's Nothing Compares to You Live Edition. (laughs) I love the specificity. (laughs) But yeah, I I I get it. It's a totally different experience hearing him sing it like acoustically (laughs) than hearing like Prince sing it or Sinead Mm O'Connor sing it. So he, I had to be very specific. (laughs) (laughs) Ashley, do you want to tell us about your second pick? Sure. Um, so the second one, I already got the one I feel really emotional about <laughs> out of the way. Though this one, I think, is also something that we all talked a lot about that was a hard topic. And this is one that we read together. I wanted to talk about Beth Macy's Dope Sick. And I wanted to pair it with Ex-Ambassador's song Unsteady. And I think, so Dope Sick, I feel like, I mean, we talked about this for not not that long ago, yeah. so I won't go too in detail. But basically, I think what really it impressed upon me was that it just made me feel so much empathy for people who are addicted to, to particularly to opioids. I mean, that's really what she's talking about. But more generally, people who are addicted to drugs. And I just think that her in-depth study illuminated to me how out of the control of the individual those situations mm-hmm. are and how little... It has anything to do with, and I mean, I I thought I did not have stigmas against people who are addicted to drugs, but then when I read that book, I realized that I did have some stigmas Mm -hmm. that really, and the book really, or some negative attitudes or just assumptions that I thought I knew something about that topic. It just really helped me to see that that was something I knew nothing about and that what is most important is the ability to stay with the stay with each other like basically Mm -hmm. to support each other and to find a way through and to figure out how to help each other through something that is hard instead of judging and turning away and hiding I mean Mm -hmm. I think that so much of the book was about shame and the stigma involved and how people wouldn't even say what was happening in their family because of all the negative associations when if they had said those things sooner, it could have really helped in these communities where so many kids were dealing with each other and, um, you know, that all that stuff was spiraling out of control. And because no one was talking about it, nobody was seeing the trends. And so, like, that all just really made an impact on me. And I felt like what I walked away from the book thinking is that recovery programs have got to be made possible, mm-hmm. that those programs have got to have medication as part of them so that people can get away from the things that they're so addicted to and I just felt like I I didn't realize any of that and so back to the song here um with ex-ambassadors it's all it's just all about like how we need people to hold on to us when we are not stable and that that is hard to do and so like the speaker is talking to a mother and a father and asking them to hold on to them and so I feel like that is what stood with me in that book and it was like I mean part of what was so heartbreaking and dope sick was the moms who did stand by their children mm-hmm. through all of these unbelievable situations and how hard it was and how strong they had to be to be able to do that. But that the the few success stories that we saw had a lot to do with the support of the family and with those specialized programs that made it more possible for, um, for people to find some success and to have some form of recovery but I just feel like that song really stands with me for that because I think that yeah it's just all about the relationships with each other and the needing to hold on and that and that we all experience that time where we feel unsteady and we need people to anchor us so Mm -hmm. yeah so again that's ex-ambassador's song unsteady and the book is Beth Macy's Dope Sick. Jen what is your (laughs) final 
<laughs> All right. So I am a huge, huge fan of the musical Hamilton. And one of the things I love about that, so it is about Alexander Hamilton and it is about his political aspirations and the way he sort of implodes and ruins his chance to be president or to be cast for most people as a list of one of our first great Americans. So what I love about it, though, is that it's also about his marriage and he makes a lot of mistakes. He has an affair and there there's a whole aftermath of that that's horrible. But one of the pieces, one of the things that happens is his son is defending his name and uh, sorry, I don't consider these spoilers because it's Hamilton, <laughs> Alexander Hamilton and his history. So I'm just going to say it. His son is killed in a duel, much as Hamilton is later. And so his wife is having to forgive him, not just for having an affair with Mariah Reynolds, but also for the part that that played in their son's death. And there is a song, this song, It's Quiet Uptown is this moment where you see their marriage growing and progressing. It starts, there are moments that the words don't reach. There is suffering too terrible to name. You hold your child as tight as you can and push away the unimaginable. The moments when you're in so deep, it feels easier to just swim down. And it just continues and you see Hamilton trying to apologize to Eliza and to save their marriage and to be there for each other. And every time I hear it and every time I've watched that play, that is the song that gets me. And there are just these beautiful moments of quiet that Lin-Manuel Miranda and his co-writers wrote into the musical that just let it rest. Okay, so all of that, then that's the song. And then I am pairing it with Danny Shapiro's memoir, Hourglass, Time, Memory, Marriage. And Danny Shapiro, I've only read two of her memoirs, but I will definitely read more because I think her ability to reflect on her own experiences and to place them, like she's reflecting as she's living, which I think is amazing. But this memoir is looking back at the start of her marriage with her husband. It goes through their son's very serious illness. And it just looks at the struggles that they have to survive in order to continue to have a happy marriage. I listened to this one and I thought the audio was really moving. She's a very lyrical writer and yeah, it, it's not like a song, but it's just the, the care and word choice to express her understanding of her marriage is really stunning. So that is Danny Shapiro's Hourglass Time Memory Marriage and the fabulous It's Quiet Uptown by the mm -hmm. Amazing, Lynn Manuel Miranda. Who I love. <laughs> I just want to say that I felt a little regret that I did not read more of the lyrics of my first song, particularly oh. when you were reading them. I was like, oh, I should have read them. So click in our show notes because the right. lyrics are great. Yeah. My last choice is a book that we've just we've talked about a couple times on the podcast. So I'm not going to go really in depth, but with a summary. But the book is Jennifer Niven's All the Bright Places. This story follows Finch and Violet two teenagers who have an encounter on the roof of their school and it's unclear exactly what's happening but you get the impression and this this happens right at the beginning you get the impression that someone's 
contemplating jumping Mm. either one or the other or both and then they find each other and they form this friendship and this bond and they work on a project and it's just this beautiful story about their relationship and it's just it is so well done and it's a hard book i mean it's just a hard book because they're both of them are dealing with a lot of a lot of really tough things and you feel a lot in this book and so that's why i'm pairing it with lincoln park's shadow of the day and this is another song i think that what i've realized as i've been trying to pair songs is the the songs that that stay with me are the ones that make me feel something Mm -hmm. especially and i mean it's mostly feel something like just like visceral Mm -hmm. and when i hear uh Chester Bennington sing this mm-hmm. song I just feel I have this visceral feeling and it it makes me sad but it's also almost cathartic mm-hmm. and that's why I think that it that's kind of how I felt some points during this book like I felt really sad but it, sometimes it was cathartic mm-hmm. to feel that way and just like because I felt like she did a really good job of exploring their emotions mm-hmm. and showing there are different sides and I don't know. I just, to me, this song fits that way. I don't know if we went lyric by lyric, if it tells the story, Finch and mm-hmm. Violet's story, but I think in terms of theme and mm-hmm. the way that both of these pieces of art make you feel, mm-hmm. I feel like they are a good pairing together. So that is Jennifer Niven's All the Bright Places and Lincoln Park's Shadow of the Day. So we just want to thank you for listening today and sticking with us through a lot of emotions. And we want to remind you to check out our Tee Public store for all the awesome merch and to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. Thanks for listening. hope you enjoyed listening to those three episodes and we wanted to end today with a give me one and today's topic is your favorite pizza topping and Sarah could you go first I'm super super boring because my favorite pizza topping is extra cheese that's it just give me the cheese and the dough and the sauce that's all I need (laughs) so super boring but it's delicious what about you Jen Mine, I feel, is much maligned, but I love ham and pineapple. Awesome. So mine is along those lines, Jen, and it's bacon. And we did not put bacon on pizza for a long time, and now that is my number one ingredient that I most definitely want on there. And we do bacon with pineapple sometimes, as well as bacon with lots of other toppings. So there you go. Well, we hope this finds you all well, and thank you for listening. Let us know what you're up to and what you think about as far as audiobooks and book and song pairings. Do you have comments or opinions about what you heard today? We'd love to hear them. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at UnabridgedPod or on the web at UnabridgedPod.com for a list of ways to support us. We'd like to thank Jared Featherstone, who composed our theme music, Strings of Light, and Katie Amy of Amy Photography, our podcast photographer. Thanks for listening to Unabridged. 